Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. When you think about the idea of home, it can mean so many different things. Like maybe for you, the first thing you think about is family. Maybe you think about the sound of the kettle or the smell of a fresh cut lawn or, a, you know, the radio playing as you wake up in the morning. Takalik Duffy is a multidisciplinary artist. Her new show is an exploration of all that, but through an Inuk lens. Takalik is based in Saskatoon, but she grew up in Nunavut in a small village called Coral Harbor. And in her new show, Gasoline Rainbows, which is at the Winnipeg Art Gallery, Kamayak, she assembled a series of very nostalgic touchstones that bring her back to her childhood with a little bit of pop art there as well. Like, there's repeating images of red rose tea cartons or sewn sculptures of red jerry cans, like the plastic gasoline cans, and a big soft sculpture of a tin of canned meat. A couple of years ago, Takalik received the prestigious Konojuak Ashavak Memorial Award, which celebrates mid-career Inuk artists. Takalik Duffy joined guest host Saroja Coelho to talk about her work. Before we get into it, though, I want to let you know that if you go to cbc.ca slash Q, uh, you're going to be able to see some of the images from her show to check out while, while you listen, which is always good when you're listening to a radio or podcast piece about visual art. Saroja started out by asking Takalik Duffy how she landed on using pop art to show her memories of home. It was the perfect way to explain like missing home, I suppose, because it's like you never know the things that you're going to miss about your home community and maybe your childhood. Because when I was growing up there, it's like I wanted to be anywhere else but Nunavut. You know, the longer I was away from home, it's like you remember, I, I remember being mesmerized by the gasoline rainbows in the in the puddles mm-hmm. um, up north. And that was a signal that usually we're going out on the land, you know, with my chair or my uncles or my, my mom. And at the time I was a begrudging participant in camping. (laughs) I would have rather been reading comic books or being inside, you know, (laughs) not in the back of a very bumpy kamutik for six hours, you know. So it was funny to me the things that I missed after being gone for a while from home. You were just talking about some of those big journeys. And one of the pieces in your exhibition is a jerry can that you have sewn out of material. It's quite large and placed it in a display case in the middle of the exhibition. I'm wondering what you could tell me about what those mean to you. You already spoke a little bit about that journey onto the land. When you look at that jerry can, what is it you're trying to say? (laughs) What am I trying to say? I think in a way it's just finding beauty in unexpected places too, because when I was growing up, I felt like life was happening anywhere except in Nunavut. It was the 80s. You're watching everything on TV And uh, so all the things that you sort of take for granted as you're growing up, and these things are ubiquitous, like they're everywhere, like the jerry cans on the side of the road, outside the houses, on the back of Hondas, on the back of uh, Kamutiks, and you watch your uncles and cousins and your grandfather, like strapping them, tying them down to the back of a boat. Um, So while I was growing up, it's like, you don't realize the things that you take for granted or the things that you're going to maybe find beautiful in a strange way because it means home uh, in a way you never expected. 
you know, people think inukshuks or like like an ulu or like the the usual stereotypical things that are connected to Inuk culture. But when you've grown up in a community like that, I guess it was a surprising journey for myself to to think of the things that were nostalgic to me. But while you focused on things like jerry cans or or cans of of food, there was the act of actually making it, which did tap something traditional for you, no? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I love about it. At first, when I had, I was commissioned uh, by the Art Gallery of Guelph to um, make a soft sculpture. I had never heard of that before, and so like I googled it, and I thought this is so stupid. That like I hated it. I hated the idea of it. I didn't understand it uh, at all. I don't know what, why. What is a like, soft sculpture? It's like a like a like it sounds a sculpture made out of. Um, like soft material, I suppose. I'm probably terrible at even even explaining the definition of it. But <laughs> <laughs> so I was in the habit of just saying yes, and it was in the theme of uh, everyday objects in Nunavut. The show was Kautamat, which is everyday. And um, I had remembered I had all this red leather that I had bought years ago at a thrift store, and I had no business buying it, but I just had to have it for some reason. And then I had thought... Uh, one of the pieces in that show was a big green canoe, which is how uh, we used to travel too. My uncle had this big green canoe and it was tied down to a hamutik and there was jerry cans always on the back. And so I thought that'd be really beautiful in tandem as far as the color scheme and as well. Uh, it told a story that was um, uh, that worked for me as far as having that leather. You know, it sort of just happened. I didn't try to make it happen. But um, Tell me about the actual making of those jerry cans, the sewing and how that connected you to other women in your family? Yeah, the stitches are like a point of contact that I never really realized. The first time I had thought about that was um, I was making a pair of earrings out of uh, polar bear skin. It was like an old skin that my grandparents had used as a seat warmer. And so I had taken that and I was like, well, I'm going to make some earrings out of it. And as I was like sort of softening the skin, um, you realize we share the same tastes. Like this is something that my Ananachek would have tasted or my Amok would have tasted. And um, I'm going to cry. The stitches. Uh, it's what's carried us. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, you take your time. It's quite <laughs> wonderful to be so touched by, by those historical connections. I'm such a crybaby, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like... Um, it's like a direct connection, a point of contact to the people that have carried you here. And uh, we use the word or the term ancestor, and it, it can seem removed. It seems like something that was so long ago. Um, but these these people that are like the great cloud of witnesses that are around us, to me, something about the stitches, like there's the power is in the making and the doing. Like even if you're not very good at it, even if you're embarrassed of your stitches, <laughs> <laughs> which I sometimes can be, or obsessive about them, where they just have to be like so perfect. Um, but yeah, there's a sort of magic that happens. There's a palpable presence um, that kind of comes down, at least upon me when I'm doing. And it seems ridiculous because you're sewing a jerry can, like there's no purpose for it. Whereas um, my Anachak would have been sewing like kamit for the winter or like a warm parka. <laughs> but here I am sewing like a, a six foot pop can or like a giant. Uh, Jerry can, but there's something in the stitches that reminds you that um, 
I don't know <laughs> what it reminds me of, but you know, there's, I mean, it's a lot to say about that, but yeah, something about the stitches is really a point of contact. That's really beautiful. I have to disagree with you. I think that sewing a jerry can that helps us understand other people's concept of home is a really beautiful thing to make, to craft like that and, and connect with the past. And for me, it's a portal into a whole other history, a whole other world that was not part of my way of growing up. It's quite wonderful. Well, thank you. It's so easy to be dismissive, I think, sometimes of um, the things. Well, anyways, I easily dismiss myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're also having um, a, a lot of fun with it, and, and it's smart fun. I read a, a wonderful story where you had tugged your stitches so tight that you actually oh, no. accidentally <laughs> punched yourself. Is that right? No, I, that was a secret I told a journalist. Never tell us. Yeah. <laughs> she tricked me. She was like, so like, we're like besties in a few minutes, you know, and I started telling her all sorts of secrets. Um, yeah. And I'm always telling on myself, but sometimes I get so caught up in a moment because it's, it's, the leather is quite thick, you know, and I'm just trying to pull it towards me. And then, especially when you have a, a show coming up, there's a, like a clock that's ticking down upon you. So I've done you should never rush because that's when bad things happen. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about some of the other pieces in the show. There are lots of pieces that have to do with food. Uh, tell me about your soft sculpture of canned meat. When you sew something like that, what does it mean? What does it mean for you to put that in the exhibit? <laughs> well, click is a funny thing, you know, because it's premium pork and um these are the things that we would put in our grub boxes when we we're going out on the lands. So the good food is out there that you have to go get it, like the tuktu, and your cousins are going to go hunting. But you have this stuff that will sustain you in the meantime, or if perhaps you didn't have a successful hunt. Um, so these are the things we buy from the store. That there's there's something that you always see, so it's visible because you go to the store in my home community, eight hundred people. There's the Northern store and the co-op. And so I grew up, you know, going to these places. And then our my parents have a hotel. I don't know if they ever served click, but <laughs> um, but another canned meat just mean it means sustenance in a way, right? It was brought to us to like sustain you while you're looking for the things that will actually sustain you. There's also uh, China lily soy sauce bottles, and not just one or two, but an entire wallpaper of them. Why did you do it like that? <laughs> I like I like to play with language, so it's like the Great Wall of China, Lily. Oh. <laughs> kind of these uh, stupid puns that uh, amuse me. And my dad was <laughs> always playing with language, uh, and he taught me that language is fun to play with, and English is kind of a ridiculous language to begin with. And I like the intersections where Inuktitut and English kind of either they don't go together or they kind of make sense. Uh, so I just thought it was funny because of the pun and I thought it would be a nice visual image. You you once said in an interview that it is everywhere, that it's in lots of dishes, that when you walk into a store, you'll see just a wall like that. Does it look like that for you? It does. And it's another thing that if you're looking back, um, it was always on my Anana chef's table, you know, my parents' table. Um, if you're going to go eat at anyone's house for lunch and they're taking out the traditional foods of like kwak, tuk to kwak, and then the things that are always in tandem with that or the condiments that were brought to us, you know, from the outside. And when I'm growing up, I didn't see them as different things. They were always together. So tuk-tuk 
and china lily for me that was that was the thing where you're just dipping frozen bits of caribou into the china lily and then you know that bottle's like the black and the yellow i say it's like a tiny little billboard that's seared in your memory but you don't maybe don't realize it till you're a bit older at least for me it's interesting that you're talking about the the permanence of that memory. You've also talked about the permanence of these products. So here in this exhibition, we see a lot of packaging that, as in a lot of pop art, is has a real permanence about it. But there's a bit of a political commentary in that for you as well, no? <laughs> you know, I'm not very political, but um, I think I'm not smart enough to have like true political opinions. But I... Um, it feels like the things you want to last forever slip through your fingers. And then there's these other things that just have this permanence that like, like a pop can won't biodegrade for 500 years or like this jerry can is going to last forever. Whereas other things are kind of not, you know, they don't have that, um, like a permanence is the best word for it. So I think there's a play on that in the sense of, you know, we become surrounded by garbage Whereas in Inuk culture, the things that we use to survive would go back to the earth. And uh, and these things are so bright, you know, they're like sort of like McDonald's. It's like the, the red and the yellow and then the black and the yellow or the green. and the Well, whatever it is that gives you that contrast. And if you think about that in nature, usually those kinds of things are poisonous or like it will signal this is toxic mm. because it's so bright. And if you're in Nunavut, you don't see things in nature that are that obnoxiously bright but I'm also drawn to them because <laughs> I'm a sucker for marketing and I've been um <laughs> uh there's a, there's an obviously a visual appeal and that's why it works you know favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You are also having a lot of fun with bubblegum. You've got, um, <laughs> instead of instead of bubblegum, you've got blubber yum. Can you tell me about that? Can you tell me what it looks like and, and what it meant to you? Sure, uh... That's one of my favorite pieces um, because uh, it's just a large uh, drawing of, uh, you know, um, <laughs> I can't even know the real name now, blubber, blubber gum, <laughs> not blubber, <laughs> blubber, blubber yum, bubble yum. Bubble oh yum, God. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I've completely twisted my own brain, but um, yeah, it's like purple and pink. And uh, I was in the middle of sewing. Uh, I can't remember which piece it was now, but like I had no time to waste on anything else. I had already done all the drawings I was going to do and I was working on the click can um, and it's got this like blubber pink for the pork 
and kind of like in a Barbie pink. And it just it just made me think of this time I was eating tuk tuk with my auntie uh, in Mattaq. And she's funny. And she had said, oh, you know, I love Mattaq so much I could chew it like a big piece of bubble gum. <laughs> and that memory had just come to me. And suddenly there was this madness that took over because I just I pictured it immediately. So I just had to put everything else down. And I just hurriedly made this piece. And I didn't even know if it was going to be in the show, but I advocated for it because I ended up loving it so much. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a commentary too on what if our food came in packaging? Because as Inuit, we have a lot of people, you know, very judgmental towards the traditional diet, um, which is ludicrous if you think about it for any amount of time. <laughs> Because um, they didn't, we didn't have grocery stores, you know, like you couldn't just go to the store and buy a pack of, or like a, a nice seal meat in a can or whatever. Like you had to actually physically go out and get it and risk your life. Like we, ba- I barely want to walk to the grocery store, you know, <laughs> my ancestors were surviving. So yeah, it's, it has all that, I think, in it, within it. But that's one of my favorite pieces. There are so many themes here of, of survival and celebration, of reach back for, for the people who came before you. And so much as you're speaking, I hear so much reverence for the generations before you. There are also lots of people, because this is opening in a place where lots of Southerners who've never been to the North can also visit this and see all of these images. I'm wondering what kind of reactions you're hearing from folks who don't know a lot about the place where you come from. <laughs> oh, um, it, that's been really wonderful, too, because you don't really realize who it's going to uh, affect or who might be moved by it. But I remember this lady um, from Hong Kong. Originally, she messaged me on Instagram and she had seen the carnation can uh, print that I'd done. That's at the AGO in Toronto. But it had reminded her of um, tea with her father. And so it was so wonderful to realize, oh, you know, like these Things aren't nostalgic just to us as Inuit, which I felt kind of ridiculous to think because I have a possessiveness about them in a way because I grew up with it. This is my, like China Lily is my traditional diet, (laughs) which is silly. And then also it reminded me, oh yes, like we've been, uh, if you want to use the word colonized by consumerism and products like China Lily, HP sauce, uh, (laughs) um, Do you know, I think everybody has that, though. The I saw in the exhibit, you've got red rose tea boxes, and yes. those are really big for, for my people. My father is Indian, and Indians who came to Canada through the Commonwealth system, a lot of us were drinking yeah. red rose tea at home. So for me, it was so interesting <laughs> to think, well, how yes. does this mean home to you? So I, I think we, mm-hmm. all, we all have those attachments to certain things we grew up, in, uh, grew up with. Thank you so much for this invitation into your home. It's been wonderful. Well, thanks so much for having me and having this time to just talk about it. It's been really wonderful. That was guest host Saroja Coelho's conversation with Takalik Duffy. Takalik is a multidisciplinary artist and jewelry designer. Her show, Gasoline Rainbows, is on at the Winnipeg Art Gallery, Kamayak. If you're curious what her work looks like, we've shared some of the images from her show on our website. Go to cbc.ca slash Q to check it out. Thank you to Saroja for sitting in for me while I was uh, while I was away, and lovely to hear uh, that conversation with Taka McDuffie. Um, the other conversation we put up today is my chat with the legendary dub poet Linton Kwesi Johnson. You know, um, in terms of whether art can truly be activism, Linton Kwesi Johnson moved to Britain, joined the Black Panthers. The people around him were moving into politics and to like you know street organizing activism, and he turned to poetry. And I asked him. 
why? Like, can poetry actually make a difference? Something I've been thinking a lot about these days. Can art really make a difference? He has a lot to say. His answer has been really sticking with me. Go check that out wherever you got this podcast. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.